speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. Folks, welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I am your host, Jackson McDonald. Elliot is here with me. Uh, we may have others joining us at some point. I am okay. I just we'll start here. Vias has has reached a new level of interrupting me by going on a three month vacation in the middle of like the busiest <laughs> news weeks like run of news cycles uh in the canucks market and probably like i don't know i guess a year pretty much right 13 months thereabouts i mean yeah how often do you fire your coach so it's been 11 months since all the front office stuff settled down yeah pretty much right so um i've uh i've tried on numerous occasions to like try and either schedule something with him where like he gets up at eight at the eight in the morning and I stay up until 11 at night uh, or whatever, or start recording until 11 at night. That's not staying up for me. I don't want to give people the impression that I'm a hundred years old. Um, oh, I am a hundred years old and I've been thoroughly uninterested in this because staying up past 11 is a tall order. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I'm okay. I'm glad somebody feels that way then. Um, uh, yeah. And also, you know, like we had Cody fill in last time. If I had to bet, the most likely person to show up at some point is probably Cody. Um, oh yeah. But uh, it'll almost be funnier if no one does. I, I literally just like gave up and plopped the zoom link in one, in our group chats with, uh, you know, various recurring characters on the show and was just like, look, just, if you're not doing anything, just please come on the show. I'm so, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired of trying to schedule guests and uh, fill-ins or like trying to figure out the time difference between us and Vias. Um, although I will say next week, we're going to have um, a very interesting guest. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that oh, yeah. and spoil it. But uh, there will be a, a, a big and interesting guest next week. Um, where the fuck do we start? <laughs> it's been a while since we recorded. It- and yeah, a lot of things have happened since two weeks, then. maybe. Yeah, I think it's been about two weeks. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's also been like the longest two weeks of uh, of my life in some ways. Certainly, uh, it's felt like the longest two weeks of Canucks ho- hockey probably since the Tortorella era, era, which is what all of this has remind me reminded me of the most. Like, even though it's a very different situation in a lot of ways, it also just like. I don't know. It feels like this weird, like flipped and reverse, like bizarro version of the of the Tortorelli year in that, like, yeah, instead of like having a, a, a you know, it's it it's like the mirror image, basically, of what happens when you let the owner fire or uh, hire the coach, um, which I think is the. Maybe the the thing that people are missing about this. I, so I guess we'll we'll start with uh, 
we'll, we'll start at the beginning with uh, the fact that basically starting on the day after we last recorded, um, you, an absurd amount of leaks started to come out about the coaching situation in Vancouver, uh, which eventually, obviously, as you know by now, la- uh, led to... Unless you're Vios. Unless you're Vios, yeah. It'll be so funny when he gets back and he's like, so what did I miss? Um, <laughs> <laughs> just listen to this episode, Vios, and then you'll know. Um, yeah, led to the Canucks uh, firing Bruce Boudreaux and hiring Rick Tockett, but in probably the most like long drawn out and embarrassingly public way. I think I've ever seen anyone get fired from any job. <laughs> like, yeah, th- it's like uh Trump press secretary level of embarrassing, except that the people involved are, or at least one of the people involved is actually likable. Um, obviously, you know, we had that incredibly bizarre uh, back to like two back to back games where everyone knew that Bruce was getting fired, including the players and the coach himself. Yeah. And like had to do press conferences about how he was going to get fired before he had been fired. Um, But I, I think all of this really like what it dates back to is something that we talked about about 13 months ago on this show when Bruce Boudreaux was hired, which is why did you hire a coach before you had a a front office? Yeah. And the other part of that too, is like, they knew they wanted Jim and Patrick and that whole crew. Right. Uh, Supposedly. Yes. Like, right. But I feel like at the time that was definitely the narrative and it's like, so you know, which, front office staff you want you should probably let them pick their coach but you know Boudreaux what he was the biggest name that was available pretty much therefore Frankie has to have him yeah I mean that's always what it seems like it always just seems like uh, the the you know the the Aquilini um, modus operandi is to go after whatever the most famous guy is in any situation, whether it's like uh, signing off on a big trade, getting a coach, getting a GM. That's why it was so weird when they hired Gillis. Like, because it, 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 I mean, obviously the, the reputation hadn't been completely cemented yet, but like that was a real shock because he was this total outsider. And sometimes I wonder if maybe like, the experience there is what led to, and the fact that Gillis was kind of one of the only people that's ever been in the organization that has felt free to kind of tell him to fuck off. Right. Um, I wonder if that, like uh, that sort of affected his desire to go down that road again. But um, yeah, I mean the, the, the Boudreaux hire in retrospect is such a strange thing because I remember people saying at the time that, you know, kind of after the front office had been put in place that it was like, oh, well, Rutherford signed off on the Boudreaux hire, which like doesn't make sense and doesn't match up timeline wise. And also, like, even if he did, he still had to hire a GM, multiple AGMs, et cetera, et cetera. So like 
let's say hypothetically that Frankie called up Jim, uh, you know, a, a, like immediately after firing Benning or like even a couple days before. And he was like, so I'm going to hire Bruce Boudreaux. What do you think about that? And Jim was like, yeah, that sounds good. I like Bruce or whatever. Like, even if that did happen, it is very, very feasible that he could have been like, I'm yeah, I like Bruce Boudreaux. That's fine. And then decided on Patrick Alvin as the GM and then had Patrick Alvin come in and Patrick just goes like, oh, yeah, I don't. I don't think this is going to work with Bruce as our coach. Right. You know, like even, even, which is not what I think happened, but even if, uh, even if the, on balance, the, uh, Oh, Jim signed off on Bruce thing is true. Um, yeah. But I mean, like it's more it's still stupid is my point. I guess. Yeah. That's still <laughs> stupid. Although it's much more likely that, you know, that's just the thing that they, they leaked on purpose to the media just to get people not to question it for at least another 10 months. Yeah. And, and it is really funny that they very publicly and embarrassingly fired someone else this year uh, and used leaks as the reason kind of for justifying it. And then the, like the worst, most embarrassing leak you could possibly have. uh, Yeah you know gets out like two weeks ahead and i mean there have been some people who i think very disingenuously and i i almost hesitate to even like give them air because i think this is pretty much this has been pretty much universally acknowledged that this was not handled well uh there have been a few people who have kind of suggested that like oh well like it's the media like they made it worse or like you know, they uh, they were the ones speculating or whatever, as uh, as Rutherford uh, suggested. Right. And, you know, on some level, like, I guess you could say, like, well, they could have not reported it. But at the same time, it's like, well, <laughs> have in you met a media person? To, yeah. In order for that criticism to have any weight, you have to sort of you don't have to prove that the media made it worse. You have to prove that the media uniquely made it worse that yeah. media in another town wouldn't have done. And literally no other media in any other Canadian market, like Canadian or big US market, like, yeah, yeah. okay, maybe who are we crapping on for having no media presence in their own city? Florida? Like uh, besides Arizona, because I'm tired of bullying them. Yeah, totally. Like um, Sunrise Tampa. or whatever. Or, yeah, 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 Sunrise. Exactly, yeah. Tampa yeah. before they won the cops. Sure. Yeah, okay, maybe someone there wouldn't have bothered reporting it, but come on. Yeah, and it's also you like, think this wouldn't have happened in Toronto or Montreal. Like Montreal, they would insane. have Montreal, they would have figured this guy's like grade 10 French grades. Absolutely. Already. Yeah, no question. Like the I, I've I've always that's always pissed me off. The the sort of idea that like and people will say this, even people from like uh, out east will be like, Oh yeah, Vancouver's like different or whatever. And it's like have you seen what happens in Toronto and Montreal? Like, I know it's a like I know the media culture the is a little are different, different, but the same thing. And like, the the thing that I think is the only thing that I think is different about uh, here versus Toronto or Montreal is that for some reason, both like particularly executives and the owner specifically, but. You know, the executives out here all look at Twitter for some reason and think it matters. 
and get scared by it, which I don't understand. Like if, if I made, if you, if you paid me like $20,000 a year more than I make now, I would happily like never look at my phone ever again. If I had a job that I get criticized on Twitter for, I would, yeah. Not, not have Twitter. Yeah. Exactly. I, there were so many times. Oh, had was... literally said to do this. Yeah. Yeah. If if I, if I was uh, like when I was a uh, managing editor of Canucks army, like if I had been allowed to not have Twitter, basically like I would have after a certain yeah. point, because it just gets annoying to, to just see what people have to say about you all the time because it's just a, you know it, it's often ill-informed like the the thing i will give uh you know coaches executives people who do talk about twitter as stupid as it is that they do it the one thing i will give them is that like yes there are a lot of people who just talk shit and have no idea what they're talking about um it's not everyone and it's i, I think not like um you know, the, 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 the like lunatic fringe thing that Brian Berg talks about or whatever, like I've always thought that that was very stupid because no one takes those people seriously. And to some extent, like they exist in every market. Um, so I don't understand why anyone would think like, Oh, you know, the reason why the Canucks can't get good free agents is because like doobie 22 on Twitter, uh, is, is too mean to, to Mason Raymond or whatever. Um, Anyways, my point being that, uh, yeah, this would have gotten out anywhere. And more importantly, you had the general manager and the president of the team being asked questions about the coaching situation and consistently over and over again, pouring gasoline on the fire. Like, even if there weren't leaks, even if Elliot Friedman wasn't coming out and saying like Bruce Boudreaux is going to get fired this weekend, he's going to be replaced by Rick Tockett, you would still have the team doesn't play with structure. We had a bad camp. Yeah. I'm talking to potential replacements for Bruce Boudreaux right now, which is an insane, like an absolutely insane thing to say and do to be like, yeah. hey, what's going on with the coach? Well, we're trying to line up a replacement. <laughs> Who does that? It's also very much one of those things that would not fly in like a real workplace. Oh God, no! And this is this has been a thing that which, is and I understand that is different because it's like professional sports. But at the same yeah. time, like this is still someone's workplace. It is, and and I actually think like you can get a lot of mileage out of just talking about an NHL organization as a workplace, because like, yeah, there are often, it's often something that's not spoken about enough. Like the, a team is just treated and behind the scenes too. Like when it's not even athletes you're talking about when it's just like, you know, nerds with calculators and, you know, ex players who uh, want to cosplay as businessmen or whatever. Um, like, not a lot of people talk about teams as workplaces. They talk about them as if they're like some other thing that isn't, you know, a place where you go to work and get paid like anywhere else, you know, they talk about it more like a government, government administration or like mm -hmm. the Catholic Absolutely. church in the like middle ages or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's often very futile actually. Um, the yeah. Way people, people talk about, uh, 
uh, specifically NHL teams, but sports teams in general too, to a lesser extent. Um, and I mean, the other thing too is that with uh, the trade deadline approaching, there's some chatter about Kuzmenko and stuff. Oh, and yeah. I've seen uh, some people say the old thing about if you trade this guy after he signs uh, here, I hate it so much. You know, what's that going to look like to future and to future free agents? Yeah. But it's like, how do you look at that a week after the Boost Boudreaux thing and think that that's not going to affect your likelihood or ability to hire top caliber coaches that haven't been arrested for gambling, <laughs> gambling related uh, mishaps? Related, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That is, that is extremely funny that like people would look at what the Canucks have been for very, very close to the last 10 years. Like we're so close to being able to say 10 years. Yeah. At this point, and just say 10 years. It's, it's better. It's pretty much. Yeah. You could, you could pretty much do it now where we're almost there. Um, Like the idea that you would look at the Vancouver Canucks uh, organization since they hired John Tortorella and be like, man, the way they trade free agents at the deadline really makes them look bad. <laughs> it's, it's just like you just fired the coach in the most embarrassing and public way ever. And like all of the people in the organization were asked about it. And when you, when they asked the players, all of the players were, were basically like, Oh, we really like him, And this really sucks. And it's really sad. And we hate it. And you know, you have like, uh, you know, people's like spouses and, uh, and family members, like, you know, <laughs> liking, uh, posts on Twitter that are like, Jim Rutherford is a fucking asshole and he should like, you know, go, he, he can go to hell for like treating Bruce Boudreaux so poorly. And it's like, you know, it's very obvious that like the players are not happy about it. nobody's happy about it. And, you know, that's just, that's just one of, a series of absurd goof ups that have been happening on, you know, pretty much like a yearly basis since 2013. Um, yeah. The idea that like, that anybody would look at the Canucks organization and be like, Oh, they traded that player that conventional wisdom dictates they should trade. How is that going to yeah. affect their image their PR? And it's like, okay, so that now you care about how this looks. Now you care about optics. You didn't care about optics when uh, the the coach you hired because he yelled the loudest tried to literally murder someone in the middle of a hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> like, as much as I, I do enjoy the 180 that that incident yeah. gets on the show, but. Well, yeah, I mean, it's. it's yeah. The Tortorella thing is hilarious because it, it's it, funny, but it's still like not good. No, yeah, that's that's always the that's always the the sort of like fine print with anything I say about Tortorella is that it's just like my my my, my without devolving too much into discussing Tortorella. My thing about Tortorella is that John Tortorella is basically like any other NHL coach except with all the dials turned to eleven. So like, oh, yeah. he's gonna be louder dumber and funnier than any other coach in the league basically while also like from a from a, a basic like philosophical and material standpoint like no worse than almost anybody else you would hire like you know i uh 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I've I've made the case before, but like, you know, he's not kicking players in the kidneys. He's no. just like being kind of a regular asshole. Yeah. It's just very public. But which is, you know, why I say that this this whole thing kind of reminds me of Tortorella in a weird sort of way, except like instead of having uh, the general manager have to sort of like wear this embarrassing coaching decision that like leads to a player being alienated and eventually shipped off. It's like the coach who's really well liked and is uh, and is like fired really unceremoniously and embarrassing. And it's kind of the players who are standing around awkwardly, like being like, Oh, what's going on? Um, but I, I mean, sorry, I, were you referring to Kessler or to Booth? Oh, I was, I was, re- no, I was re- uh, referring to, to Luongo. Oh, um, right. Obviously. But I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, in fairness, there are other guys you could point to as well to a certain yeah. extent. Um, just because like Kessler wanted out the most and yes, although yeah. not as much as Luongo. Yeah. Although Booth was definitely Torts' whipping boy. Yes, uh, certainly. Yeah. It's not like Luongo was Torts' whipping boy or anything. And, uh, you know, the, I Again, guess like, we're getting off track. But. We are, yeah, we're we're extremely getting off track. Everything eventually becomes about Mike Gillis or John Tortorella. That's pretty much how it works. Um, because every because yeah, everything eventually just leads back to uh 2011, and uh, it feels like it's just been uh everything has just been scrambled the like versions of the same thing basically since they made it, since they went to the final, but um, which is you know which is why everything that's happened over the past couple weeks and everything that seems like is coming it feels so exhausting by this point because it's it's not even it's the same thing the, yeah and it's not even the same thing it's not even like oh we already did this we're doing it again it's like okay we did this in 2015 and then again in 2017 and then again in 2019 and now we're doing it again in 2023, and it's like, okay, we've seen, we haven't just learned this, you know, we haven't just like, oh, we fucked that up, and now we're, you know, uh, learning the lesson or making the same mistake again. It's like, no, you're making the same mistake that you've made like five times in a row, and somehow nobody else seems to notice that that's what's happening. Um, and I mean, as far as Rutherford and Alvin are concerned, like. There's a there's a clip I want to play uh, in a second from the press conference, which was one of the wildest. Uh, I think pr- actually probably the wildest press conference I've ever seen, other than maybe the uh, the Torts post Hartley game press conference. Um, but like on some level, uh, I don't. Uh, they deserve blame. Absolutely. They deserve tons of blame. Um, but I think somehow still it's, it's surprising to see the extent to which ownership remains the elephant in the room that you also have to eat apparently for some reason. Um, right. Because like, uh, throughout this whole, uh, this whole ordeal, uh, there there's been a lot of focus on like, Oh, well the, the, you know, the president said this, uh, 
uh, publicly or, or, you know, uh, invited speculation when he did this or, you know, publicly slammed the coach or whatever. And like, I don't like any of that, obviously. And I know I'm sort of repeating myself, but like, it just seems so surprising to me that there hasn't been at any point, uh, uh, anyone circling back around to be like, well, they wouldn't have been put in this position if, the you know firing of the last regime and the uh the the hiring of the new regime was handled in a professional way at all or a way co- commensurate with how every other franchise in right. the league and in every other uh professional sports league works and operates like um and uh, you know I know I've I've probably made this point on the show numerous times but uh, at this point, like if you get hired by Francesco Aquilini and then have to wear the fact that Francesco Aquilini wants to pretend he's a general manager, that's on you for taking the job. And so I don't have any sympathy for you. And I don't think like, oh, my boss wouldn't let me is protection from criticism at all. It's just like at some if point. If you're Rutherford, you can choose your next destination to a certain extent that other exactly. guys don't yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, shit rolls downhill, right? Yeah. Like, so uh, while, uh, while I absolutely am here for people, um, uh, slamming Rutherford, Alvin, everybody talk it too. like a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, talk, it doesn't deserve any, you know, like, uh, don't be hard on him. He didn't do anything. It's like, well, he took the job. So he deserves a little bit of criticism. Um, and he just definitely deserves criticism for going on TV and kind of playing, you know, making jokes and playing fast and loose with the fact that like, he's, we all know he's going there. Um, yeah, but you know, uh, uh, at the, particularly at this stage of uh, degeneration, like you should be pointing a finger squarely at the owner first and the owner should be the guy who comes up at the beginning of every statement about what this team is doing, because it's really the, the only thing that matters at this point, like he could hire fuck. I don't know. You know, he, he could, he could hire the entirety of the Tampa Bay organization (laughs) to run his team. And it would still be like, well, if he's, if he's overriding, hockey ops decisions that that group wants to make, then the team will never be good because uh, you have a guy with a Flintstone phone and a goldfish brain making all the calls and, and hiring all the people and, and making the ultimate deciding who he's going to sign as free agents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have uh we, we do, I, his mic is off. So I think he's here, but I think Cody has finally joined us. Is that you? Are you there, Cody? That is me. I was with you were on such a run. I didn't want to interrupt. I I appreciate it. I, yeah. I thank you. How how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm taking a break from the uh, Abbotsford intermission here, and I figured I'd chime in nice. a little bit Excellent. because I thought it was very interesting actually when you were bringing up how like you know if you do take a job with this organization at some point you can't even be like oh no like they're they're completely blameless for being a part of this uh, yeah. a toxic situation because I could have sworn. Earlier this season, I think it was Barry Trotz did an interview yeah, so- somewhere. It was like a podcast or whatever. He does his athletic piece or whatever with Michael Russo. Sure. And then yeah. 
like it was a TNT broadcast or someone that was like, oh, this is really unprofessional. This, you know, violates the uh, the coaching guilds, the uh, brotherhood of coaches to be sure. actively saying you're out for or you're looking for another job in the industry because that's taking away a job from someone that has one right now. And it's like, yeah. OK, well, what what happened now with to that if Rick Tockett takes Bruce Bujo's job after going on the TND panel and being like, well, this is what I would do if I certainly yeah. <laughs> didn't take a job that I've been offered. If I did it, yeah, if, yeah. I, if I did if it, if I killed Rick Bruce Boudreaux, how did I do it? Yeah. Oh, we got uh, Justin joining us here as well. I don't know when he. Uh, uh, we'll we'll see when he um, connects here, but uh, perfect. This is a good timing. We got some people joining us. This is this is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean the 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 talk it thing. Like obviously, talk it deserves the least amount of shit out of everyone in this situation for what's happened. Cause he's yeah. just the new guy coming in. But like the idea that he doesn't deserve like any criticism or scrutiny is, you know, I think pretty silly because, I, because I ultimately do, I do ultimately, think booing it, him is dumb. Like, yes, sure. Like, cause well, yeah. like, it was, it, it was also hilarious, but it's yes. very funny. Like yeah. ultimately oh, yeah. all this is very funny. Like, yeah. The fact that like the owner is spending seven and a half million dollars on so coaches. Funny. After Amazing. like rumor or like leaks saying he didn't want to spend money, like that's just so awesome. That's always the. I just love how at least that doesn't count against the cap. Yeah, yeah. fair. That's, that's cool. always the uh, the thing that happens with Francesco though is like there's a leak that's like Francesco doesn't want to spend any more money on this, <laughs> yeah. and then like three months go by and it's like Francesco Aquilini has decided to spend even more money to solve a problem that he yeah. himself created. He has decided to make a bunch of decisions that will actually cost him more money in the long run than had he just done what he probably should have done years ago. Always. Every single time. Oh, you there, Justin? Maybe. Uh -huh. Maybe not. I don't know. All right. We'll keep going. Either way. Um, okay. I'm going to play the, uh, the Rutherford clip that I wanted to play because uh, it is... I think one of the one of the weirder uh, things I've I've uh, heard from a Canucks executive in <laughs> I don't know the last uh, couple months. Um, oh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's from the Rick Tockett uh, introductory press conference, and um, I just have to do the screen share thing here. But uh, this was kind of in. I can't remember what the question was exactly, but it's basically in response to you know the idea that like this wasn't handled well and that they uh they have some level of uh uh you know the it, accountability that needs to be taken over how the how the Boudreaux uh situation was handled from a human standpoint mm -hmm. and um yeah I just have to get it set up here one second um now part of this process and and I will apologize to Bruce for this is probably in my interviews over the course of the season, when people ask me a question, I'm probably too direct and too honest. And so that goes back to my comment about uh, team playing with structure, more structure, and things like that. I've done that my whole career. I've tried to be honest. I've tried to answer the best I can. And sometimes that affects certain people. And in this case, it probably did affect him. And uh, and I'm Probably. sorry I did that, and I've learned from it. So I've decided that I need to zip it. I'm not going to talk 
about the team. I'm going to let Patrick and uh, and Rick talk it, talk about the team and and just stay away from those things. But unfortunately, it's uh, turned out the way it did. Nobody takes great pride in this. I've known Bruce for a long time. He's been a friend, and I feel very bad about it. And if I've offended anybody in the process, I apologize personally on behalf of the Canucks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I can't get it to turn off. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, there you know is really, you know what's yeah, really funny please. about that? As he's talking about structure, I was just thinking about this. Like in Tockett's opening interview, he was like, I'm not going to worry about structure right now. It's just about like, you know, getting to know the guys. And then. Yeah. In the intermission videos of or the post game video, he was like, you know, you guys, you stuck to your structure, and that's why we won against like the Blackhawks. And part of me is like, I was thinking back to our like last episode we did together, and I and I yeah. was like, these guys don't even know what structure means. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just like using it as like a verb to describe anything. They don't even know. There's no such thing as structure in the in NHL. I, I'm convinced now. Yeah, well, I mean, the the whole uh, vibe around the Chicago game was extremely funny because especially like just, you know, we'll see what happens in this Seattle game uh, here because we're we're recording on uh, on the night of the 25th of January. Well, yeah, I can, I can tell you the first 20 minutes were not very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's been basically uh, the Canucks playing the role that the Blackhawks played last night. Um and uh, I mean, we will we'll have to t- talk about uh, the the Chicago game at at uh, in more detail here in a second. But um, I did think that 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 whole thing was very funny because it was like the I mean, I have I, th- I don't think I've seen a team like try to tank as cynically as the uh, Blackhawks are this season since like the 2014 Sabres, probably. Um, and so. It, it it was very funny to just see people basically being like, oh, uh, uh, wow, like uh, the Canucks played so well defensively against this, like, you know, three uh, NHL players, two of whom are, uh, you know, 45 years old um, and a bunch of like AHL washouts or whatever. Um, but uh, just just to return to the uh, the Rutherford presser for a second, like. There were there were two things about that answer that I thought were very funny. The first is the whole like uh, I've decided I should shut the fuck up and not talk anymore, which is a hilarious lesson to learn from all of this. (laughs) And also, like, what do you think your job is as the president of the team? Like, um, you know, (laughs) that's like basically the reason you have a president versus like just a, a GM who's also a president is, is basically so the GM can get left alone and do the work and the general or, and the uh, president can just like, you know, field all the questions and, and, uh, and, you know, be the voice of the team or whatever. But the, the funniest thing was uh, Jim doing the, the thing in the job interview where they ask you what your biggest weakness is and you try to find a way uh, to spin it as a positive thing and just uh, being I like, just, I care too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just being like, uh, yeah. So sometimes I'm too honest, and uh, I, I, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I behave with too much integrity, 
and my dick is actually too big. And a lot of women say that they can't actually handle the girth. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, if, uh, if I hurt you with my giant dick, I apologize. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm hurting a little bit here. I thoroughly enjoy about how, when you were talking about that Blackhawks game, that the game had, so we're watching the game at the same time. They had a big graphic about how much the Canucks kicked the teeth in of the Blackhawks last night. Although it was their eighth game where they surrendered two or fewer goals. 47 games in yeah yeah. which is i think there's a problem here that's not coaching and it has to do with your goalies being martin and delia yeah Uh, so i think we've we've uh you know i'm i'm gonna talk a little bit more about bruce uh on the next episode so we can we can kind of set that aside for a bit and talk a little bit more about uh rick boppett the uh the canucks new head coach heir to the uh hasbro electronic game fortune um, you know, I, I actually think like, I, it's not, I don't think it's a wholly terrible hire. He has certain, there's certain things about him that I think like, um, he's, he's quick on his feet. He's, he's good at answering questions. He, um, certainly like has a reputation for being a bit more structured, which could be good for this team. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think you could you could ask for a more like uh you know softball opponent in your in your first game and i do think it was incredibly hilarious that uh the stadium roundly booed him and his staff when they were introduced and then some guy in the first 4 minutes of the game just went up and threw a jersey on the ice <laughs> that yeah, guy that, is a legend that's like so awesome like just sticking to your guns like i am not happy with the direction of this club and just like kind of like misreading the room at the same time where everyone's mad and annoyed but like not enough to do that in the first four minutes of like a tie game it's such a funny thing (laughs) to do at that point in the game because like at that point in the game the only thing that had happened was that curtis lazar like biffed a really good scoring chance and so i just like to think that he was just basically like fuck this shit i'm (laughs) Like, it was Curtis Lazar's brother, and he was wide open net. Like, yeah, he he was throwing a Lazar jersey on the ice. <laughs> He's the one guy in Vancouver who bought a Curtis Lazar jersey. I'm also curious if that's the first and/or only jersey toss in a winning game. That is, or if it's the earliest goal. Uh, I'm sure it's the earliest. Right? It has to be. It has to be. The it might be the earliest. Toss. I'm sure it's the only one in a win. And we we also had another possibly record-setting uh, jersey toss when someone threw a jersey on the ice in the home opener, which so we may have seen earliest in a season and earliest yeah. in a game in the same season, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. I'm surprised the men in black didn't uh, get him before he could do that because like they've been uh, they've been watching uh, uh, pretty intently and. Uh, I mean, I, I know they got shit for it. And so in Bruce's final game, they kind of eased up. But like them taking away that sign that said, like, we support Bruce or whatever. It's like, I just can't believe that that Francesco Aquilini is such a micromanager that he's like, you can't have this kind of sign. He's like <laughs> calling the DJ, telling him what to play you two. Like, it's it's absolutely absurd. Like, it, it, 
you know, it's just one of those situations where it's like you could literally just do nothing and and everyone would be so much better off and so much happier. I, I love that I'm here to jump in with a correction in the moment. Oh, here okay, yeah. Excellent. They didn't actually do that. They, oh, the, okay. You may have noticed that from the photos that the sign, which I believe said, we stand with Bruce. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. was fucking enormous, okay? Oh, so okay. it was like going to a wrestling show and staring at the back of someone's sign the whole night if you okay. happened to be sitting behind that person. What actually happened was that they came down and told him, you can raise the sign, but please only during stoppages. Like you okay. cannot obstruct the view yeah. of the people standing behind you for the entire game. That's reasonable. That. Which is fair, oh. but uh, that was Chester, right? And I think his season ticket seats are in the aisle. So when he had the bring Bedard home sign, he was just laying it across the aisle and that thing was also massive. So that's why this one was a bit like, funny that they would come down to be like hey don't lift it because i'm sure they would have seen the bedard well, one and been like hey <laughs> don't do that we also have seen them like take down uh signs before like uh like tell people uh like confiscate them in. Uh, uh sell the team uh yeah the uh, uh mysterious folding sign that we don't know who it was from yes like that right finn is the best at winning is that the yes one? yeah that's yeah. what it was yeah I love that because because I, I I love the idea that someone would like look at that side and just be like, huh? Yeah, okay, that's a weird. <laughs> that's a very. It would weird make sense if it was a child bringing it in, not one of our listeners. Yeah, it's like a thirty-five-year-old man with a sign that says "Fan is the best winner." They're like, yeah, it's just like ah, I see. Like a ketchup stained jersey, and they're like, yeah, okay, yeah. I guess he likes Finn. All right, yeah, okay. they're just Finn, like, you are the best at winning, right? You need oh to yeah, see yeah, there somewhere even better, even yeah. weirder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that rocks. Um, yeah, what else to to say? But what do we what do we think about uh, Rick Boppet so far? I'd love can to I get... jump in here. Yeah, please. Yeah. All right. I, well, the thing about Tockett is that he's basically just bald Travis Green, right? Like, yes. Down to the fact that both of them are even like the subjects of Operation Slapshot. <laughs> yes. Like they are basically the same guy. Only one of them had hair, and one of them didn't. So, w- what I think is going to be really fun to watch here over the next little bit is. Uh, if people really do get on board with the fact that, uh, you know, Dr- Rick Tockett is the guy for this team, um, and it seems like that's the case, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, though he is only signed for two years, I guess. So we could go through this whole friggin' thing all over again. I would say it's enti- it's very likely that we do, in fact, go through this entire Everything I've heard about him makes it, him sound very much like a coach you have when you're bad. And then you're like, well, we can't get to the next level with him. So we need someone new. You almost Here's have to feel up. bad for for him, like landing with uniquely terrible teams every time he's coached. He's been a head coach of the NHL, and also he's probably like the victim of circumstance because after the way things have gone here with three coaches in thirteen months, that they're paying a combined seven point five million dollars this season. Uh, like, do you really want to, if you're Francesco Aquilini, commit to a coach? for four seasons or even three seasons. Like it seems like this is Rutherford and Alvin's guy just by way of the fact that he's a Pittsburgh alum. Right. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. yeah. So I bet they wanted to go longer with him. And the owner was like, I've been burned once before. Like we'll take this one day at a time, which maybe is a positive. And wow. Francesco Aquilini actually learning a lesson. I never thought I'd see the day. Yeah. Um, 
I'll but, believe it when I see it. <laughs> but the, the 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 funny thing is, like, we have this segment, the the segment of the fan base that will like rapidly agree and support anything the team does. Um, and that will probably include the fact that, like, yes, we were right to make all those coaching changes. Like, Bruce was the problem, and Travis was the problem. You can't, though, the, like, the people who spent the Bruce bump saying that Travis was the problem are now going to say that Talkit is the solution when they're essentially going to run the same system and play basically the same style, right? Like, it is very funny, too, that, like, before you hopped on, Justin, we spent a long time pontificating uh, about the fact that the owner hired the coach uh, and, you know, how, uh, how what a what a sort of how much they set themselves up to fail by doing that, by, you know, hiring a coach and then bringing in a front office and then being like, so what do you think about the coach? Uh, and the the truly hilarious thing about that is that. I 1000% think that the Canucks could have gotten away with just firing the front office, right? And having a new general manager and president step in and as happens all the time, as happened with Elaine Vigneault and then he yeah. was extended, like have the new guy come in and assess the organization and and literally say like, we're not changing a thing until I've had three months to look this organization, you know, uh, top to bottom, uh, do a full audit or whatever. And I, I just, I think it's, it's very funny because like they could have avoided this entire situation by just bringing them in, letting them see how they like Travis green, who is essentially like Rick Tockett, you know, essentially like the kind of, coach that they complained about not having for the entirety of their run here so far up until yesterday. Um, and then if they just, even if it was li literally just as simple as like, we want our guy, Travis is fine, but like, we just want a guy who sees everything the same way we do. Then they could have just fired Travis green, which they, you know, did anyways, but just like a few months earlier, it's, it's so wild to me that they took this like 13 month, uh, you know, trip into the wilderness basically with uh, a coach that was just kind of like dropped into this situation with no attachment to anything else that was going on. Uh, this game is hilarious, by the way. Uh, it is now four nothing Kraken. Um, Oh, you're ahead of me. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I mean, yeah, like beautiful. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the the three the three nothing goal was Jared McCann. So that yeah, I love uh, that for us. Yeah, his twenty third of the season at that. Amazing. Like he's killing it. Amazing. How many goals does Good Branson have this season? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, so there we go. Just uh, just re uh, returning uh, back to that uh, for a moment, like. It, it, it really is too bad because I think from a uh, like from my particular uh, standpoint, which is tremendously unique uh, and and I, I admit that like Bruce Boudreaux was kind of an ideal coaching hire because he was this like fun personality, genuinely good guy who's easy to root for, which is like very, very hard to find in the NHL. And then also like coaches a style that's pretty fun to watch. And also 
additionally seems like a pretty good coach to me as a guy who admittedly doesn't feel like he's very good at assessing uh coaching. And so to see to see it all um kind of unfold this way for the benefit of like uh this weird like Mr. Clean looking uh you know gambling addict who's you know never like had a winning record as a coach basically ever um i don't know man it's uh it doesn't exactly seem like uh a a thing a serious organization would do it's also very funny like knowing that his like first like head coaching job was with like the Tampa Bay lightning in like the early, like 2010s or 2000, like late 2000s. Yeah. Like I think as, 2008, like, or 2009 or something like objectively, like of very good teams. <laughs> and yeah. and he still doesn't have like a winning record and people are like, Oh yeah, he's going to bring the structure they need. It's well, like, Cause the funny thing about ooh. Tampa is that like, they, they were basically bad for two years in the past like long stretch of time, like truly bad. And they yeah, were the yeah. two years that Rick Tockett was there. <laughs> and like <laughs> I, I think you could, you know, you can it's not like they were much better with Guy Boucher and like there's a lot mm. of there are a lot of issues there. And there's a you know there's a reason why they they drafted first and second overall. But like yeah, it is it is kind of funny to be to look at the history of the Tampa Bay Lightning over the past 20 years and be like, oh, when were they when were they really bad? And it's like, oh yeah, it's the two years that <laughs> that this guy was there, which may or may not have been his fault or had anything to do with him. But yeah, like I do want to extend the same courtesy that we did to Jeremy Collett in a couple weeks ago, right? Yes, like, yeah, guys can evolve and get better but i mean that's just like i i don't want the negativity of what went down with bruce and that slow walking of the plank over the course of like mm-hmm. basically three weeks where everyone oh, yeah not just that he would be gone but that they'd already lined up the hire it was basically done and you're still trotting this guy out here week after week i'm sure you guys already talked about the all, all that sure. earlier course yeah. Um, yeah. it's like it's like the mr show sketch about uh the pre-taped Colin show yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> last week's topic right now <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, uh but like you know you can't let that resentment if you want to be angry about that you're angry at francesco aquilini and probably to a large extent your brother yeah for sure because of the way he just publicly thrashed him like all season long in a way in a way that's just bizarre like <laughs> The people who are like, I don't think the team did anything wrong. They just let him coach longer and maybe turn the ship around. It's like, oh, they, they also let him get the send off from the fans that almost no coach gets. Yeah, well, that, that, Which, and that, that I think that's is, insane. But it was a beautiful moment. It, it, it was, was a beautiful yes. moment. It's terribly tragic, but it was a wonderfully human moment in a game that doesn't always often up a ton of those. So. Uh, you know, that that is nice, like that we at least got to say goodbye. But you're right. It is fucked up that everyone knew that that was the end. It was the worst kept secret in sports, right? Like that's something that you can pin on ownership and management. That is not the decision of Rick Tockett. He yeah, did not certainly. come in here. Yeah, yeah. And to, to be fair, and to be fair, one thing that I think the market did miss is that Travis Green was in nearly the same situation where he... Because when he got fired, I mean, just as much as Bruce, I mean, let's face it, had a whatever, like ultimately a whatever record with the team. Yeah. He was not the savior because this team's problems go way deeper than coaching. But that also means that Travis Green was not the problem. 
No. Hey, Travis Green still coached this team to the most success they've had of any That's coach true. since Elaine Vigneault. Like absolutely. Well, correct. I mean, I guess I guess like Willie Desjardins had the the dead cat bounce year with the Sidians or whatever, but like But he didn't win around. Whereas Yeah, exactly. And I know we all know it's a fake playoffs or whatever and COVID and all that, but like You can all for... claim they won two rounds, but they did win one round. Yeah, they did. And 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 unambiguously. People, people forget too, like the story out of until Demko went God mode, like the the story out of those playoffs was like Travis Green spent months in a bunker just like singularly focused on how to win a playoff series well, with like, his team. And like you saw the adjustments that he made yeah, in that yeah. St. Louis series. He tactically outmaneuvered the team that had just won the Stanley Cup. Absolutely. And you yeah. can say, sure, they didn't want to be there and they like they gave up or whatever. But that I mean, come on. But they if they gave up, they gave up because they were down and because they were getting no play. Exactly. Like you won't want to argue they didn't fight back as hard as they could have, but they were put on their back foot. Absolutely. But again, what I was getting to was just that Travis Green was also pretty ignobly fired for yeah. a problem that fundamentally wasn't his problem. Like, I think moving on from him was probably the right call. But the way that they fired him was also pretty dirty. When he wasn't the problem, Jim Benning was the problem. And the yeah. funny thing is, too, if that had been dealt with properly, it avoids, it avoids this whole thing. Because yeah. you just keep Travis Green, because again, he's fine and not the problem. Clean out and, Jim Benning, get Jim, hires Alvin, and then, I mean, do they bother firing him for? Uh, they probably don't bucket, bother, or do they wait till the off season? Yeah. yeah, right. Because it's not like it's not like there were a bunch of teams lined up to hire Rick Toggett. Yeah, that's like, the reality. I, the like, point I was trying to make is I do want to extend like the idea of an open mind that I'm willing yes. to see where this goes and that this is the guy that they clearly wanted and is who we probably would have ended up with anyway, ultimately, no matter how this played out, given that they just continue to bring in all of their buddies from Pittsburgh, and right? Like did win two Stanley Cups as an assistant with the Penguins, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, there there's there's a there's a level uh you know, it, it, like on some level, you you can't complain. And I mean, I know he's been a head coach before, but like you can't find the next great coach by hiring a guy who's had a ton of success uh, at the NHL level somewhere else. It doesn't work that way. Like you find uh, uh, if you want to use Elaine Vigneault as an example, like he was not a guy who had had a ton of success at the NHL level before he came to Vancouver. Um mm -hmm. He had a little bit, you know, like I think he had one good year with the Canadians or something, but like, this is how it works. Like you take a chance on a guy and it doesn't work out. And then maybe another team takes a chance on him and it does, or in Toggett's case, it's, you know, this is his third chance. I think if he doesn't make pretty significant strides as a coach with this team, even if it's not his fault and he's coming into an identical situation, basically as his last two teams. Um, I think that might be it for him just because it is a results results based industry, but like, yeah, but I mean, he's in a good spot because in all likelihood, uh, Dunco will be back next season. So it'll yeah. look like pure genius. And we all know the NHL is really easy to sucker on coaching quality and yeah, loves results. to mistake a good goalie for a good coach. Like the Jack Adams is a goaltending award. That sort of cliche. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's the thing, like Bruce is taking the fall 
for the back end of this team without the superhuman goaltending that we've seen yeah. over the last few years, right? Like the back end of this team is horrible. The defense beyond Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen and maybe a handful of other guys is atrocious. They are making costly errors every single night. Did Bruce Boudreau construct this defense? No, but he can't get blood from a stone either. So he has to be shown the door. The thing that yeah. you said though, is like, there's no lineup to, to bring in Rick Tockett. That's yeah. why this is such a confounding mess Yeah, is like, yeah. If you were to do this and bring in a known commodity midseason because you felt like you had to go out and nab the guy who's going to be picked up by the next team that makes a coaching change if you don't do it now, like, you know, Barry Trotz was never going to come here, but let's say Barry And he Trotz, said right? that as he said as much publicly. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. But he he had the quote, I think today or maybe yesterday, where he said he called Bruce like six weeks ago and told him, I don't want your job. Yeah, uh, which is good amazing. luck. Amazing. Yeah. Like, it, it, yeah. If, but if you'd done this whole bizarre circus to grab a guy like that, I think a lot of us would be able to look past it a bit. Yeah. Like, not only is Rick Tockett going to be there in June, you are also interrupting yourself midway through oh, an unintentional yeah. tank for Connor Bedard. Why are you doing that? It's not as though. Like, I don't think Rick Tockett is going to come in here and really feast on this soft schedule down the stretch necessarily. Um, but, but like, if the but why would you badly, take that risk? Ex <laughs> yeah, exactly. If the team's already doing badly and you don't even know if that Tredemko is going to come back this season because just like Tanner Pearson, this feels like a, an injury that it's just going on and on and on. Uh, like, and you know, why even bother bringing him back this season? Yeah, like, exactly. give him the extra three months to recover, the extra what is it, four, yeah, five months to recover. And like, we, yeah, that's another thing that like we never even got to is just like the 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 absurd and weird Tanner Pearson thing where like, you know, the same day that you talk about how the team needs major surgery. Yeah. It's oh, like, yeah. Speaking of major surgery, Tanner Pearson uh, has to have a um, he has oh, to his career is his, his career is ruined by your shitty doctors. He that has you, to get uh, the higher doctor Nick and for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, we fucked like, this up so badly that uh, he now has to get the weird Anakin Skywalker hand from uh, robot hand with the, the wedding ring fused to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we uh, we look we're looking into it as to the players. They believe that the doctor can't uh, properly assess what kind of surgery is required. Anyways, um. On another note, I was wrong earlier when I said that uh, only minor surgery was required. <laughs> Clearly, major surgery is now required. That was basically the press conference. So there might so have been good. ten uh, minutes in between those answers, but like, uh, Farhan, have you heard of the tragedy of Doctor Plagueis? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so so to to return to the to the topic of Rick Boppet for a second, um, uh, <laughs> Rick Toggett's favorite part of playing Boppet, by the way, definitely pull it. Um, but um, I I <laughs> I will say that uh, um, I, you know, if, if there's something that I'm gonna judge Rick Toggett for, just be, you know, I, admittedly, like unfairly, uh, because. As we all kind of know by now, like, you know, you you have a press conference and you just say shit 
no one knows what you know i i'm not gonna hold anything someone says against them really unless it ends up uh like the boudreaux situation um i i really only care about like you know results and process and what actually happens on the ice but you know, he he came in in his press conference and he basically said, I'm going to do all the shit, all the shit this team's already tried that hasn't worked. Um, And the the thing that I that really gives me pause is like, you know, they're playing the maybe on balance, the worst team in the league yesterday. And talk it is like obsessed with getting Pedersen out against weak competition which you know i understand on some level because yeah like petterson's gonna feast on weak competition and he's the team's best offensive player but at the same time if you do that at the expense of his total ice time i really don't see how that's a winning recipe over the long haul because your players can play, your top forwards can play like 25, 30 minutes a night, right? We definitely didn't see this happen in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, but when your top players are 23, 24 years old. It is, yeah. You know, they can certainly play 20 or 21 minutes a night. And I don't think it's uh, really that absurd to... To have that happen on some nights, like it, all the time, no. Like, For sure, if you really need to win a game, yeah, exactly. And it's close and, all the way down. And somebody said, and I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to look at what the ice time is like tonight. And somebody said uh, to me when I brought this up, they were like, "Hey, maybe they knew like the tougher opponents coming the next night, and they're thinking we want to make sure Pedersen has lots of gas in the tank tomorrow. And if that's the case, hey, great." you know, 5D chess, whatever. But um, it just seems to me like it's not rocket science. Like, uh, you know, I, I when your players play matters, who they play against matters. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with prescribing minutes. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with saying we don't want Pedersen to be our main penalty killer, for example, things like that, things of that nature. Um, but I don't think it's, it's really rocket science. Like, you want to win games, you should make you should play your best players the most. Um, it doesn't make sense to play Brock Besser uh, a minute and a half more than Elias Pettersson. That just doesn't make any sense. Like there's no, re- especially with Brock Besser being as terrible defensively as he's been this year. There's no reason mm-hmm. why you would do that. And I understand that to some degree, that's because he was on I think Horvat's line or or whatever. But like, you know, if there's a center on this team who I'm thinking I would like to see that guy get out against weak competition. It's JT Miller. It's not Elias Patterson. Um, it's Sheldon dries. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Apparently. Exactly. Yes. The freaking goal of the year. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. So this, this entire thing plays into my theory that the team is actually stealth tanking. Yeah, and, and they got rid of Bruce Boudreaux because he was winning too much, <laughs> which is saying something because the team was dog shit under his tenure. Yeah. So I think this whole thing, like moving Miller back to center, maybe trying Hughes back on the right side again, all of this is like, like almost like subtle tanking where the like Rutherford and co can outright get the G or the owner to acknowledge just how poorly they are set up for the future 
So yeah. the best thing they can do is pretend it's a coaching issue when really they have brought in a guy they know to coach, not in the worst way possible, but in a way that doesn't actually benefit them. In, because, in a way yeah. that we've already seen this roster fail under. And, yes, and, and yes. in a way in which, judge situation. Like, in a way in which, like before, it was like, okay, the team is pro- arguably winning games because Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes are playing the most minutes because they know how to break games open and win. Exactly. But if you start limiting their minutes under a new coaching system and mask it as a new structure, no one's going to question it because they're going to be like, well, we have to give the new coach a chance. But it's actively helping their tank because these game breakers aren't playing as much, but it's masked as a structure thing. And I just think like this is all just like 70 chess to try and somehow improve their lottery odds. Like what, what's so, the score in the Seattle game right now? Five nothing. It's now five nothing. Goal, yeah. yeah. This, this is this is totally a stealth take, and that's the only reason I can think of it, because the only coach that would sign up to do this midseason would have to be an old buddy from your cup winning days. <laughs> well, well, to build yeah. on that, to yeah. build on uh, to, to build on that, like Jackson, you acknowledged that uh, what Chicago's doing this year is like the most brazen open tank and bombing since, uh, you know, the the Coyotes versus Buffalo that season. Right? I mean, it seems like it to me. I may I may just have, you know, momentary amnesia or whatever, but it's certainly it's it's up there. I, I mean, you're right, because they had gr- some great players last year and they traded them all for basically nothing in the offseason. Yeah. Into this season. Uh, and why do you do that? You want to take in a run at Connor Bedard, basically, I would imagine. Yeah. But uh, but, you, you know, that tank battle. What was that? 2014 between Buffalo and Arizona, 15, they, I think, where they're like, David, right? They're, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Nick it was, you're right, it's 2015, enough. my bad, yeah. 2015, okay, but you saw trades ahead of the deadline that year. Yeah, where I think hilarious. Buffalo got rid of their third-string goalie because their third-string goalie was playing too well yes. and winning too much. The, like, the it was reported is- that their coach got pissed off at his players whining about how bad the team was and told them the better they play, the sooner they can be traded. Amazing. Which is just... So beautiful. But if if we were to do an open tank here in Vancouver with this Canucks team and made moves like that to try and build the, you know, goalie tandem that would lose the most games, would it really be that much different than no. Spencer Martin and Colin Delia? And I will say, like, I, I, you know, people used to talk about the stealth tank with Jim Benning, which I always thought was like, like, you know, people people would say people talk about like five uh, D chess or whatever, and like the thing with with Jim Benning was whenever people suggested there was anything more than the most obvious interpretation, it would just be like this isn't even a team playing five D chess. This is like the rest of the teams in the league are playing chess and they're playing checkers. Like, um, so I never I never bought any of the stealth tank uh you know narrative with with that with those guys which did come up a lot uh, sorry just uh, uh digressing for one second absolutely hilarious that they kept Mike Yo so there's it's just bald guys all the way down now on this team like they I can't even tell the difference between Tocket and Yo from far away anyway sorry um uh, but with Jim Rutherford even Sergey Gonchar has a big bald spot. You're so right. Yeah, his uh, hair is going too. And I, I did love the, at the press conference too the way the uh, the three of them looked like a Pokemon evolving chart, <laughs> where it's like you know first you start out as a bald guy with a sweater, 
and then you become a bald guy with glasses and a blazer, and then you eventually evolve to a bald guy with glasses and a blazer and a sweater underneath the blazer and massive water cannons coming out of your back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the fourth one that's coming next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as far as the, as far as with, with Rutherford and Alvian, I, I do kind of see it to a certain extent. Like I, I definitely see how they could come in and because there's, they're clearly smart enough guys to be like, okay, the owner won't let us tank, but we know how we can tank in a way that'll make it look like to him that's not what we're doing. And I I could see it, and my only uh my only the only thing that gives me pause about it is that if you're willing to lie to that extent to hide the fact that you're tanking. Why wouldn't you lie about whether or not you're trying to replace Bruce Boudreaux? Unless, I guess, you're doing 12D chess <laughs> and you're trying to create the most toxic possible environment so that you lose more, which is insane if that's what they're doing. Or may- maybe we're seeing a Costanza with the Yankees sort of situation where yeah, yeah. they're all there trying to get fired so that they will be paid out their contracts in the exact same way that Bruce Boudreaux and Travis Rick <laughs> yeah. are being right now, right? Maybe. Like, if you don't want this job anymore and you quit, you're not going to get paid. Oh, but no. If, yeah. you, if you drag the World Series trophy behind your car, in the parking lot <laughs> then you just might get to ride off into the sunset with a beautiful golden parachute well We're speaking... five home games away from patrick alvin running onto the ice in a bodysuit um yes absolutely <laughs> speaking of costanza too like i mean uh as i alluded to earlier like th- this is the most larry david ass team in the league right now and has been for a very long time but the the real thing that uh, Francesco Aquilini should do uh, that invokes George Costanza is uh, the episode where he decides to just start doing the opposite of what he would normally do. And he immediately like that's how he actually gets the job with the Yankees is he like tells off George Steinbrenner or whatever. Um, Francesco Aquilini just, you know, needs to go up to uh, a woman and be like, my name's Francesco Aquilini. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm a slumlord and I ki- I've killed a bunch of migrant workers. Yeah. <laughs> I want to um, live, Clarence. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Anyways. Um. Yeah. Anything. Anything else on uh, on Talkit? There are a couple uh, other things I want to quickly get to before we sign off. Just such an unforced error in yeah. in multiple ways, like a PR blunder at a time where you know I I think the Canucks have forgotten over the course of the last decade. Uh, And this is something that I feel like we've talked about, you know, multiple times over the last five years or so is that you are not just trying to build a winner. Ultimately it's now a 32 team league and only one team takes home the trophy at the end of the day. You are icing an entertainment product Mm -hmm. that people have Mm -hmm. to care about. And, you know, to that extent uh, it, you know, it is a little bit like Bruce Boudreaux and wrestling because you need a character that you're invested in. You need a baby face to keep you tuning into these games night after night after night. And there haven't been a lot of compelling personalities. Pedersen had one uh, in his rookie season. 
and the team did their best to beat it out of him almost immediately and not say interesting things to the media anymore. You know, like uh, we haven't had a lot. We're starved for people to glom onto. And I think that goes all the way back to the off season where they axed Bieksa, Cassian and Eddie Lack and replaced them with like Brandon Sutter and uh, uh, Eric Goodbranson, you know, like totally these total nothing players, uh, both in terms of their on ice contributions and just, you know, being charismatic characters off of it. So you had this guy who came in and found the fan base at the exact moment where they needed something, not necessarily to believe in. I don't think anybody really thought Bruce Boudreau is the answer. Who's going to carry us to the Stanley cup. The man's never really had playoff success. No, we just wanted to go to the playoffs period. And that is what he has consistently delivered pretty much everywhere else save for uh this season he almost almost did it last year really right so yeah close uh, got pretty close yeah like you are and his record over him actually coaching the canucks even with this season's slide would have been a playoff record and yeah as much as I that think. is some some fake bullshit like it is true that his winning percentage was like very high <laughs> like he if you just purely like divorce it from the context of when it happened and just look at his record, you would be like, that's a pretty good record. So you're putting a knife in the back of your most likable character midway through a season where you're losing an enormous amount and almost nobody has any reason to invest in watching this product. Maybe that's why you feel like you need to make a change and say, this is the, what the future of this team is going to look like. We'll, We'll get these guys in place now, but do you think Rick Tockett can really come in here and put his system in place after one practice and then go out and play three games in four nights? Like that's not setting him up for success. I know they've got the all-star break coming up here, but like if you're Rick Tockett, wouldn't you rather come in and have a training camp and set things from square one next season and let Bruce finish his quest for Bedard, his unintentional quest for (laughs) Connor Bedard? Like it just is like, why 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 and that is sort of what you feel yourself asking after you know let's say 85 percent of the moves the team has made in the last decade and it just feels hopeless like this is never going to end at this point well on the subject of um moves that this team has made and is gonna make uh i'm just gonna we'll do a very quick like I'll, i'll just let each of you uh say your piece on this but uh, the the two guys that are at the top of everyone's mind now with the uh, you know the team sucking so much ass and the trade deadline approaching is uh, Kuzmenko and and Bo Horvat and um, you know I think like at this point there isn't a lot to say about what they should do we're all on the same page it's obvious that they should trade both of them that they have no business um, trying to. Uh, as was reported earlier today, sign Kuzmenko to a quote unquote bridge deal, which <laughs> doesn't a isn't a thing old. because you're a 27 year old UFA. Um, but you know, whatever. Like, yeah. I, I, so I, I'm not going to belabor that too much. I, I just get it's like it. Kuzmenko forgot to doctor his birth certificate before he came over. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm 23, duh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks that they think he's like 23, but everyone knows he's 27. He's like the first guy to lie about being older. 
<laughs> so then you could just go straight to UFA. Yeah. Um, Which actually makes a lot of sense and more people should do it. It, it, yeah, it he, on yes. He's the first Russian hockey player who altered their birth certificate so he could go to R-rated movies when he was 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um He went uh, to the same fake uh passport company all the Chinese gymnasts use, except that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's amazing. Um I uh so yeah I'll just from each of you what do you think they're gonna do what how do you think this this situation ends does it end who's you know at some point it, it seems like this is a game of musical chairs and somebody is gonna be left standing with no chair and it, the question is just who it is is it Bo Horvat is it Andre Kuzmenko or is it someone else maybe uh, another uh you know. A player that we haven't considered so far so um i'll uh, i'll go in order of uh when each of you arrived and start with Justin. sure uh i start, if, uh, whatever <laughs> just go, go oh, i guess it's elliot yeah okay yeah. i guess Elliot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well you and i fucked it up because i meant reverse order so whatever uh, yeah, okay. just go <laughs> okay yeah it's uh fine. keeping with my belief in the stealth tank i i am convinced they will let both of them walk in free agency for nothing. <laughs> I like that. That's they great. won't even get anything for them. Bring it's the Jim Benning days all over again, and people will be like, "This is totally fine" because and they were asking for too much. Honestly, if that is what they do, and they're <laughs> and you take a slightly longer, uh, like obviously you'd you'd like to have the draft picks. So, mm -hmm. but since. It seems like maybe Francesco won't let them do that. Maybe the move here, then the the twelve D chess move, is let both of them walk at the in free agency, get nothing for them, be even worse next year, and be in the lottery again, and you know hope like moonshot, hope that you, you know end. Uh, the 2024 season with both Bedard and Macklin Celebrini in your organization. <laughs> That's the dream right there. Uh, I was going to do Justin originally, so we'll let Justin go now. I mean, there's still a part of me that thinks even though, you know, the, the right thing to do is to lose both of them. And the thing that they believe that they have to do, apparently, from the reporting today is uh, can only keep one of them. Yes. I'm going to go the unconventional route and say that they will sign both of these players right. because they are unable to ever let go of anything. And this is the thing with Hor like you absolutely cannot walk Horvat to free agency for nothing. Sure. You if you're if you're not yeah. going to sign him, you have to. It is like beyond malfeasance to not trade him. Uh, you know, like you're just being completely negligent as to the future of this team. I don't care if you're not getting the kind of offers you feel like you should get for your top scoring captain. You need to take anything. And you, and if you're not getting great offers for a guy who a is on a goal scoring tear this season, B is a proven playoff goal scorer mm -hmm. and C is another team's fucking captain that you're adding to your dressing room, heading into the playoffs. Like that's on you for failing to build a market. Like, yeah. How, yeah. And we saw the same thing with JT Miller. Like, yes, JT Miller is a, a, a poisonous asset in some regards, but also he could be packaged in a way if you were to, I don't know, retain 50% of his mm -hmm. already small salary prior to this extension 
you could have built a huge asset and built a pretty sizable market for it, right? Like, especially there, if you're a way... team, if you're trading them to a team that feels like confident in their culture and their dressing room, like, I, I don't think like obviously I've been I've said my piece on JT Miller as like a person and a personality many times, but like I don't actually think JT Miller's personality is as much of a problem on a team where he is like the fifth best guy and the, and the yeah. fifth highest Which play, realistically play he forward. is the fifth best guy here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, but when the team knows that the, the dressing room knows that the organization knows that he's paid that way. Yeah. And, and you're getting a guy who's like, yeah, kind of fiery and maybe like a little too emotional or whatever, but you're balancing out him out with like, you know, the the obvious Vancouver centric uh uh example would be like, you know, you're Ryan Kessler, but you have the Sedeans who like have a hugely pacifying uh effect on the dressing room exactly. and on that guy. Though Ryan yeah. Kessler obviously gave a ton of effort on every shift and yes, that, his feet the specifics are different, but the the social Yes. Yeah. The the personalities are at least roughly comparable. But I do agree with Justin that yeah, the work ethic is completely on but another level. The point that I'm making here is that if you're not building a trade market for these assets, it's because you're not actually interested in doing it. And that's exactly how it played out with and if teams and you know, like the culture in the NHL is shifting, I think, away from rentals. But if teams aren't interested in Horvat as a rental, then let his agent talk to other teams and be like, hey, do you want this guy? dirt cheap for this playoff run but the only reason you're not doing that is because like you don't want him receiving offers that are better than your offer for sure for sure but if you decided that you've made the best offer and you know his agents already told him that he's gonna get more on the market then you've given up clearly they think they have emotional leverage here though right for sure for sure and we'll get to this in a second Horvat we'll is going to crumble because he wants to stay here and he wants to be the captain of this team. Uh, and they're saving one last Hail Mary sweetest offer there is for right before the deadline to kind of put him into an emotional crunch where right. he might have to accept. That is what they're trying to do right now. But ultimately, that means you're keeping the guy. And what are, what are they yeah. talking about with, with Kuzmenko? Keeping the guy. So. Yeah. Like, I do think there is a scenario here where they do sign both of them and then just take a bath on an asset like Brock Besser, who, let's be real, they only really signed to trade so that he could build up value again. And that obviously went terribly this season. Um, But uh, I do think he could have a nice bounce back, whether it's in Vancouver or somewhere else next year. Uh, They're probably just going to, uh, you know, throw in a sweetener to try and get rid of that contract and buy out Connor Garland and suddenly presto boom that is how you keep both Bo Horvat and Andre Kuzmenko while also surrendering all your leverage and trying to clear any cap space and I have made this point uh not so much publicly but privately a lot which is that when people say like well you can't have this much money locked up on the wings or you can't you know do this or do that my answer is always like watch me bitch like there's no rule that says you can't do this stuff there's no rule that says you can't spend money this inefficiently like if frankie wants to do it if the front office wants to do it then they'll do it um and it's like uh, uh, 
yeah, it's like one of the segments of the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, oh my God, there's too much money on the wings. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, uh, I, I guess like to 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 just to add on to that slightly, like uh, when it comes to 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 the um, the Horvat allowing Horvat to talk to other teams, like I'm not sounding the alarm on them not doing that yet. Because I do think the best move, if it's possible, and that's questionable maybe, but like, is the thing that uh, Drance has suggested where you get an offer from a team and you say like, okay, this is the offer we have on the table for Horvat as a rental. Now you can talk to him about an extension. And if you guys agree to an extension, then we get like this additional asset or whatever, which has happened in the past with... Uh, right. Right. With certain guys, I, 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 I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who specifically, but I'll, I'll let you. I see. It's not uncommon to see conditional picks, conditional on a player resigning. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Please go ahead. Luckily, we have. They're getting rid of both Horvat and Kuzmenko. We have. They're resigning both of them. I think they. They look at the market. They're like, hey, we don't have that baby face for people to cheer for. Thanks, Justin. But what we need to do, we cannot lose our captain in this situation. So yeah, they make that last ditch effort. They pitch it to Horvat. He signs, but then they do the math and they realize they just can't keep Kuzmenko. They re-sign Horvat. That tightens up their cap. Because you absolutely can re-sign Horvat. Yeah. Like I think, I think in the past I've said that they can't. Obviously you literally can, but this means you're not going to prove the team around him. How much does uh how much does Pearson make? Like, isn't if he stays on IR for for like next year, isn't that enough to Yeah, and there's other give him a raise? Like like that's what I mean. It's just an example, but like Yeah, it's there's like, other there's yeah. a lot of other money that comes off the books too, like the Britannian buyout, the uh Well, and then there's Myers who becomes a one million dollar real salary player after his bonus is paid out. Yeah, but you just have to get And then you have enough flexibility to get through July 1st. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Pearson's um, got that Ben Berchi contract, by the way. Three years, 3.25. Okay, so, but there you go, right? Like, what is what does Horvat make now? 5-5? Five, five? Yeah, basically. Something, something like that? Like, you know, if you, uh, if Pearson is as fucked as he looks, that could just be the raise you give Bo Horvat, basically. Like, right. very easily. Um just sorry, but 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 please continue. Yeah, so you're gonna lose three mil on Miller. You get three mil sort of from Pearson, but then you also drop then you drop like two of fake or two and a half of fake cap from uh great uh Brian Holtby and Jake Bertanen. Sure. So yeah. like you can re-sign Horvat, but again, you have no additional money to do anything. Do anything. And you get three and a half from Michael Furland. Um, so yeah, you can resign Horvat. You're not going to do anything with that. You're not going to make your team better around him. And you definitely don't have room for Kuzmenko. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You're just going to resign Horvat. Your team's just going to be slightly worse. And we're just going to run this all back again. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. I think what's going to happen, if I if I had to predict, which is always uh, you know a bad idea, but... Yeah, I think what's going to happen is they're going to look at 
uh, the market. They're going to like take calls. They're going to like assess their, their contract situation and their like PR situation. And they're basically going to realize that the offers for Horvat, it's going to be identical to what happened with Miller. They're going to realize that like, they aren't going to get the dream offer for Horvat. They're not going to get exactly what they want. And they don't want to take a haircut on the asking price. And then they're going to look around and, and realize that Andre Kuzmenko as an asset that costs basically nothing is actually worth a lot more than they realized. Um, Because I, I really do think if you look around the league at what's happened this year, like, and last year too, like the assets that are worth the most uh, on the trade market are number one is cheap. That's the thing that actually matters the most. Like, and so I think they're going to look around and they're probably going to realize like they can actually get, if they create a market for them, like a really good return for Andre Kuzmenko that they don't have the money to sign both guys. And that like, basically they, they think from their perch where they are that like, they can't afford to lose Horvat for a variety of like PR and culture related reasons and re-sign him for his asking price and move on for, from Kuzmenko. I think you're, you're bang on actually. Um, Ultimately they need to sign or they need to sell Kuzmenko and Horvat black skate revival jerseys. So that's going to dictate pretty much their entire <laughs> offseason decision-making. Yeah. Fair so, enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, last piece of business uh, is, you know, somehow after discussing all of these incredibly sad and depressing things, we've, uh, we haven't mentioned the most sad thing, which is that, uh, since we last recorded, uh, Gino Ojek passed away, um, somewhat impressively about nine years after he was given a year to live, uh, back in 2014, I want to say. And I, I was reading an article, uh, recently where, uh, it was uh it was contem it was a contemporary article like when he was diagnosed where uh they asked him about it and he said uh i believe in my heart that i will live to see 50 uh and he did which is kind of amazing mm-hmm. um yeah. and, you know i think i think for a lot of us he had battled uh amyloidosis so well that i think a lot of us were still kind of taken by surprise because we just sort of thought like Oh, I guess, I guess he just did it. Um, I know it, it took me, uh, really by surprise to the point where, uh, when Vias messaged me, uh, the day of saying we need, you know, we should do a Gino episode and, and, you know, that's something we've talked about in the past and yada, yada, yada. I didn't actually realize that it was because he had died. Uh, I thought maybe he was just in the news for some other reason. I hadn't checked my Twitter feed or whatever. And then you know, I, I, yeah, like I had checked my Twitter feed, but it was just people posting highlights. It wasn't yeah. anyone actually saying what the thing was. Yeah, totally. Um, So, I mean, we're, we're going to do for the Patreon, like a, the next serious thing we do that takes a lot of time and effort will be a Gino uh, related episode. I don't know what exactly yet. Um, I feel like at this point, uh, you know, career moments, it having been several days since he passed um the the best sort of career moments are kind of picked over at this point but i just wanted to give an opportunity um uh for each of you to just like whether it's um 
you know, a specific thing about him or, or your relationship to him as a player or as you know, what, how you felt about him as a fan, just give each of you the chance to say something about Gino Ojic and about his passing and about, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, a totally legendary figure in, um, in Canucks history. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start for with Justin for real this time. <laughs> uh, I mean, talk about kind of the the need for baby faces and yeah. these lovable, larger than life characters within the game. Gino, uh, unquestionably, one of those not just in Canuck history, but in hockey history, really one of the more compelling figures of the 1990s, which is really saying something considering. Uh, you know, his kind of skill set, but like literally a guy who was larger than life, like the Hulk Hogan of hockey in a way. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if if Hulk Hogan was actually a good, nice person, yeah. <laughs> did, like great works of charity for the indigenous community and continuing to try and um, build hockey within, uh, you know, that community, incredible work that he did. And this is the real failing, though, of, of Canucks PR really over the last few weeks. Right. It's not necessarily uh, that the Bruce Boudreau thing uh, was a black eye for the team, which it was. It's yes. the fact that we all had to talk about all the stupid drama that surrounded this club for the last month instead of what was actually important in yeah. the last week, yeah. which was <laughs> the memory and life of Gino Ojic. In the exact same way that Rutherford held that press conference that was supposed to be about Tanner Pearson, but by the end of which, nobody even remembered that Tanner Pearson ever played for this team to begin with, given yeah. the way that that conference went like that's kind of a microcosm for the way the last two weeks have gone because you know that that game where they quote unquote freed the skate and they wanted fans to come out wearing that logo in honor of Gino because they were going to be kind of memorializing him before the game that is a message that they put out through their PR department literally like two or three hours before puck drop at which yeah. point like Absolutely. sorry too late. Nobody is going to get this message in time before they leave to go see the game. Like what the hell? And that is kind of like, nobody was really talking about Gino Ojic after those games, the way that we should have been like, that is yeah. something positive to glom onto with this team. But as always, it's all overshadowed by what a cluster the whole rest of the expedition is. So, um, you know, case in point right there, like they, they've lost the plot of their own message and they can't even keep track of what the nice things that people should be talking about are because there's just so much garbage surrounding this team seemingly at all times. Um, and it's just upsetting that it happened at a time when, uh, you know, we really should be focusing on uh, the life of a, of a great man and a great character within Canuck history and shame on Francesco Aquilini for not putting this guy in the ring of honor when he already yeah, had a absolutely. brush with death and it seemed like we were going to lose him. The time to celebrate him was then. And if there is one positive to all of his health scares over the last few years, like at least the man got to get his flowers while he was still alive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody... Uh, um, he, he knows exactly how much he was loved and how important he was to so many people. So that is, that is one nice thing, I guess. I'll, uh, I'll let you go next, Elliot. Uh, good. Cause I was going to say something building off what Justin said, which Perfect. was, <laughs> um, one of the things that always stuck with me was he was, Gina was at a couple games that I've been to, like as a part of in a like semi-official fan capacity, I guess is the right word to put sure. it there. And just like, 
how much the crowd just like lost it for him all the time was yeah was really special because like i don't think i ever went to a game when he was on the team Mm -hmm. but then just like even just him being in the stands with everyone like and just the whole arena going nuts for him was just was just so special yeah and And i'm so glad that you know they did get that chance to honor him in person like it was crazy to see like like you know I, i went back and watched um uh pavel's jersey retirement after uh after the news because i had never actually seen it i i i wasn't i wasn't so much of a canucks and hockey nerd at that point that i was like tuning in early to see pavel's jersey get retired i also chances are would have been like working or something um but uh it it was crazy to see like both um at at both at pavel's jersey retirement and then later uh on 90s night a few years ago when he came out with Kirk McLean and Greg Adams and Jeff Courtnall and I think you know uh, maybe even Linden like like all these guys from the Dennis Kearns I think was there too yeah um and uh Dave Babich for sure um and uh and both that night and at Pavel's Jersey retirement night he got the biggest cheers of anyone there um and it's just when you when you look purely at you know like uh the the stat line it it seems so unbelievable that like that guy would be the you know the the most beloved figure or the guy that fans get most excited about um and it really just speaks to like um you know the what a, what a sort of titanic uh figure and personality he was in this market so uh, Cody I'll I'll let you sort of finish us off here yeah it's like I feel like I've done like a lot of podcasts with it where you got with you guys where we talk about like movies and stuff like that. And we talk yeah, about like sure. cultural osmosis, right? Yeah. And like I didn't really start following the Canucks until like after like 2012, mm-hmm. really. Like I was like a casual, I didn't really care for the team, like whatever. But I somehow knew the St. Louis Blues event, <laughs> like the back of my hand. Yeah. Like even though like YouTube was like not as like big and popular as it is nowadays. Like I could have sworn, like I'd seen that entire clip like a thousand times over of him going nuts, pulling off his shirt, just trying to fight the entire team. Like there's some players that managed to reach that level where you seem to know every important thing they did without ever having watched them. And the fact that it's like this, you know, fifth round pick, from the middle of nowhere who is just basically like a goon, but like the most lovable goon you've ever met on a team. And by all accounts, like, like a giant teddy bear in real life. Who... The, the guy who uh, in, uh, in real life in the NHL had probably the closest uh, personality to Doug Glatt. <laughs> like, yeah you know exactly. like like just being yeah. like literally the sweetest man who also beats the ever-loving shit out of his opponents uh on a regular basis and like doug glatt is somehow besties with the star yeah. player of the team <laughs> exactly yeah. which is what happens at the end of goon it is it's yeah, true it's, yeah it's yeah like i obviously like kind of like Elliot was saying like i don't know if i've ever been to a game where he was actually still playing like i i'm I know one of the first games I went to, I was like four or five, but like I could not tell you who was playing, right? Sure, it's just yeah. like a foregone memory. But also, like 
Also love like the tape trading elements of that era of goonery within NHL. <laughs> yes. Like guys in New Jersey just like recording every game to VHS so that if a fight happened, they can like cut it to tape and then make a copy of it. And yeah. then send it to people <laughs> uh, through the mail. Like there's just something so like not to tie everything back to pro wrestling, but like Oh, just, absolutely though. Yeah. That's the most pro wrestling thing about hockey, maybe ever. Like yeah. And uh, and that's kind of like that era of Gino too, right? You just imagine everything that he did having kind of a VHS grain <laughs> on top of it. Absolutely, you, yeah. You know what I'm thinking of, actually? I'm actually just realizing why I might know Gino's fight history, like the back of my hand, because this is this is a throwback to the oldies. My mom and dad's wedding videotape. I'll never forget this. I pulled it out of a box when we were moving out of our my old childhood home. And on the label, it says Jim and Karen wedding 1989. And right below it, Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey. <laughs> so my parents had added a recording of Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey from 1993 onto, onto the VHS of their wedding tape. And I'm oh, sure yeah. that was played a lot in my household. And that's why I know so much about Gino Ojic's legendary history. Rip to a legend. Uh, like Justin saying, shame on Francesco for never having put him in the ring of honor. He should have gone in the year they announced that he was dying of a, uh, am what did what was it called amyloidosis or whatever. Al amyloidosis, I believe. Yeah. yeah, the second that he was basically given like you know five months to live or whatever, they should have thrown him in the ring of honor, and it's a Absurd shame that, that they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like. That was literally what the Ring of Honor was designed for, was guys who captured the hearts and imaginations uh, of yeah. the community. You want to talk about unforced errors. Not doing that is is among the worst. Absolutely. And like like you were saying, though, like at least like he probably went down knowing that this city and market loved him more than probably at least 90% of all Canucks players. 99% of all Canucks players. Yeah. So at least he, he died knowing that. And uh, yeah. Rip to a rip to a real one, truly. Uh, I want. Yeah. I will just quickly uh, add on to that. Uh, I think Gino basically uh, the thing that I uh, love about him loved about him is that he uh, he had the highest level of of achievement of uh, for the 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 type of guy who uh, says like you know I'm I'm everybody says I'm a really nice guy and I'm a real sweetheart but if you fuck with my friends. I will fucking kill you. You know, just like the that guy uh that uh that you know we we all like know and uh uh from uh you know like go out to the bar with or whatever that's maybe like uh a little silly but also like genuinely um you know the the guy you would call if you had to hide a body or something. <laughs> um and uh I think nothing um illustrates that better than a quote that I found from an article uh, after he retired, where he said that after Pavel Bure was traded to the Florida Panthers, people uh, still didn't fuck with him because they knew that eventually they would have to play Gino and Gino would go after them for going after Pavel. <laughs> Which is taking the whole defending your star players <laughs> to an absolutely absurd level that I have never seen or heard about before. Um, and he said this, uh, he said this completely 
one hundred percent with a straight face. Like he was, he 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 basically said, like, uh, even after he went to Florida, he still never got fucked with because people were still afraid of me, which is amazing. Uh, we 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 often call favor the Luca Brasi to the Quad Father, obviously. Yes, that is some real Luca Brasi shit right there. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, all right, so. That's uh, that's definitely long enough for today. But uh, big thanks to both of you guys for hopping on with us and making this uh, a lot more interesting and a lot less lonely. And, uh, you know, filling filling in for Vias, who remains MIA somewhere in <laughs> Europe. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, sorry, I missed the start of the show. Oh, don't worry about <laughs> no it. Worries. We did too. It's no big deal. Um, I uh, I know Elliot has a plug, but I'll let the two of you, uh, you know, uh, plug where where can people find you anything you got going on just to just before we sign off here um well you can hear me every morning monday to friday on uh city news 11:30 in vancouver mm-hmm. and i'm also doing the sports updates uh for uh the city news station in calgary as well as toronto in the middays too so really right across the country i can be heard during doing sports updates on rogers news radio uh, and have been uh, hosting some Vancouver Giants broadcasts of late as well. So nice. uh, as, on the podcast front, I do have a movie podcast. Oh, nice. Yes. Hopefully very soon uh, called ADHD DVD that I'm very excited about. But uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll be back to watch some horrible Canucks movie with you guys to promote that. Absolutely. Movie. Can't wait. Well, I'm not on the radio, but you can find me at Cody Zebertson on Twitter and at CanucksArmy.com, where I occasionally fill in on the Stanchies duty. But yeah, Very that's cool. all I got. Thanks, yeah, and don't, don't find me on Twitter. Please leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will echo that for myself as well. Um, yeah, and I just did an article, or I just did an interview with Vancouver is Awesome and other Glacier Media outlets about mm-hmm. our current spooky snowpack and what's going on in the mountains and why people keep dying in avalanches um that yeah, is so amazing can, so you can find that on vancouver is awesome man be safe out there guys just in case you know there's any crossover between the backcountry ski crowd and the show <laughs> which i assume there isn't that absolutely rocks uh justin uh if either yourself or me uh could put that in the episode description that would be amazing <laughs> yeah I, I absolutely will for sure i can't wait to read that all right <laughs> thanks for listening everybody and uh we'll see you next time should be a good one bye everybody Bye. Bye.